Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You're now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca and on your preferred podcast player of choice. It is your man, GM Cool, and welcome to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! That's right, tell a friend to tell a friend that we're live on the airwaves, and we have another banging show for you guys to get into. I do have a special guest in studio. He'll be coming on around the 845 mark if you're listening live. He goes by the name of Justin Alamed. He is no stranger to the show. Basketball trainer extraordinaire. We're going to talk about him, talk to him about all that good stuff about the NBA and about him being an author now. Yes, he's added that to his title. So we're going to get into all of that. Plus, we got a whole lot of other things. Other things to get into, such as Carmelo on ESPN, such as LeBron James dunking on layup lines and people being a little bit upset about that. I don't get why, but we'll get into it nonetheless. Also, we have on deck to discuss more of the ASAP Rocky fallout that's happening in Sweden. So we're going to get to all of that, I promise you. But before we do, you guys already know how I do at the beginning of the show, man. I got some stuff to get off my chest. So with that said, it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. Now, I was going to come in and discuss something else for the segment, but I was actually listening to a podcast on my way here, and they were talking about this particular subject. And this is something that, that I was relatively involved with as far as viewing it earlier this week. And I had a few things, or I have rather, a few things to say about it. So... I'm going to do it right now. I got another 10 minutes or so before we get into the next segment. So why not? All right. I want to talk about The Lion King. So I recently just saw this movie on Tuesday. Shout out to the cheap days. Um, and The Lion King, as far as Disney movies are concerned, for me growing up, as far as that 90s renaissance period of the animated Disney films, it's, it's arguably number one on my list. For me, it's Lion King, Aladdin, and Jungle Book. Like Those are like my top three, basically. My Jungle Book, I think, was released in the late 80s, but you, you get the picture. Um, so I saw it. I saw the movie. So you could call this an impromptu, you know, cool radio review. Um, and I'll be honest, outside of the visual aspect of the film, I wasn't that impressed. Now... I'll go into the positives first. Let's talk about the visuals. So what they've been able to do with CGI over the last 10 years or so, they've changed the game. They've made things a lot more modern, a, a lot more realistic. You go to Avengers Infinity War, for example. Thanos looks like a big, scary purple guy. Like They put extra attention and detail onto his face in comparison to what you saw in 2014 in Guardians of the Galaxy, where he looked visually animated. But in Infinity War, he looked like a big, giant purple dude that will school you for lunch money and in lion king that there's no exception like those lions look like legitimate lions like i thought i was watching animal planet for a second um all the other animals in general they looked very realistic like the the baboons the hyenas the antelope etc cetera, etc cetera. they all look very realistic the visuals are stunning they looked amazing and when we first saw that trailer we said to ourselves okay like the visuals are there they're on point but when I saw that trailer, I also noticed that it was basically a shot-for-shot remake of 
The Lion King from 1994. And I'm thinking, you know what? It's a trailer. I'm not going to look too much into it. They're probably teasing us. They want to tug at our nostalgia a little bit. I'm okay with that. But then I saw the movie. And 95% of it is literally a shot-for-shot remake of the original 90s film. And I wasn't okay with that because I felt like I'm just I was watching the same movie but for a 2019 audience. And my thing is if you've never seen the movie before, like the, the past movie, and you're watching this, that's one thing. That's like, okay, cool, fresh slate, you don't really have anything in your mind. But watching the 94 movie and then watching the 2019 movie, and mind you, I haven't seen a 94 movie in at least probably like 20 years to be honest. But it literally brought back memories of what I saw in 1994, but with 2019 tendencies and i felt like disney kind of mailed it in because they were just relying on the nostalgia factor and for anyone who was maybe five or six years old back in 1994 when they first saw it would now take their kids to go see it to relive that trip and that's essentially what they did and i get it for the kids coming up cool they're new to it but for us growing up and like watching it and already watch it i feel like this would be like a rapper or just recording artist just doing their old songs on new beats on a different album. That's basically what they did. Instead of using a boom bap beat, they used a beat from Mike Will Just Made It. Like, that's exactly what they did with The Lion King. And, oh, man, that's lazy. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not usually, I don't want to be the guy to, like, poke and pride at a film or anything in general, but I felt like, I, I, there was outside of the visuals, there was nothing brand new or innovative that they, that they did with the film. And, I get that the visuals were probably the, the most attractive thing about the film, but I feel like when it came when it came to the visuals of like the lions and all the animals moving their mouths and what have you, it it almost made the vocal performances of the actors look cheap. Because you'll have moments where there's a lot of emotion being expressed from the, the vocal actors, but because they're mimicking the movements of like lions and, and other animals and how they would move their mouths if they were actually talking, you don't get you don't get the expressiveness that you would have seen in the 94 film because that was full out animation. The, the eyes were more anthropomorphic. They were more human. They would bulge out if something would happen. I get that's animation. So for them to use the vocal actors in the way that they use them to emote emotion, you didn't, it didn't come across their faces in the film because, again, we're talking about animals, and animals can't express human emotions. It's not like they're growling or anything like that. But like when something stunning happens, you hear the stunning in their voices, but then their expressions of their faces don't really carry it because, again, we're talking about the, the impressions of animals, basically. So that kind of fell flat. At the same time, however, there are some vocal performances I didn't really find believable. For example, and I, and I, and I love this guy. But Donald Glover, I don't know. He didn't really do it for me as Simba. Like, and it pains me to say that because I love Donald Glover. But he didn't really do it for me. Beyonce, I kind of felt like she mailed it in as well, to be honest. But, again, Beyonce is not that great of an actor in the first place anyway. So I'm not going to hold it to a high standard. But that's a brand name right there. I would say out of all the actors, the ones that impressed me the most were the child actors for Simba and Nala. Because like they were very expressive in their, vo- in their vocal tones. You could hear it. And then Timon and Pumbaa, who was played by Seth Rogen, I think it was Pumbaa. I can't remember exactly who played uh, Timon, though. But they were easily, by and large, the best actors in this film. And then I think it was uh, John Oliver who played uh, Zazu, the, the, the bird. He was pretty good in this film as well. Overall, I, I, I think this is a Disney movie gone wrong, in my opinion. Now, of course, 
they made bank. Uh, of, of course they will. Like, like Disney is always going to make bank. Like, they own, like, half of the studios in Hollywood nowadays. I'm not mad at that. <laughs> but I felt like they were kind of flexing their muscle a little bit. I felt like, and I'm kind of going to bring it to a re wrestling reference, but I felt like it's like Vince McMahon just kind of doing anything that he wants on, like, Raw or SmackDown because he knows that he has a lion's share of the wrestling world at the palm of his hand, so he can just do anything. And I felt like Disney kind of took that same approach. Yes, I get it. A lot of money went into the visual aspects of the film. But when I'm watching the film and listening to the dialogue, literally they took 95% of the script from 1994 and didn't change a thing. They said, hey, we got the script right here from 94. Read it, memorize it, learn it, bingo. There's only a few changes. I think the only other change there was was the fact that there was a character in the new one that wasn't in the original one. I think it was the, the leader of the hyena. She was a, played by a female character. I can't remember the name of the actress, but I noticed that that character wasn't in the 94 film. So that was one thing. And then beyond that, I think the, the tonality of the songs were a bit different. Like you didn't have as much of a high-pitched vocals for certain songs or what have you. Can You Feel the Love Tonight was a lot different because literally the song says, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? But in the 2019 version of the film, they weren't, you know, frolicking in the light. They were or, sorry, they weren't frolicking in the night. They were fro frolicking during the daytime or what have you. Um, again, that's just a minor nitpick. Like, I'm not too crazy about sing-along songs and films anyway, so I'm not going to nitpick on that too heavily. Uh, but overall... I, I I wasn't feeling it. I'm I'm sorry. I just wasn't feeling it. And it's crazy because all the things I'm saying about the about using quote unquote CG animals and what have you, this isn't the first time they've done that. They did that with the jungle book back in what was it, twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen? The one that had Idris Elba in it as well as Scarlett Johansson and a few other people. That movie actually worked. Like Whatever they were able to do in that movie, it worked because they were. I get they looked a bit more expressive. On top of that, it wasn't the same script that they used from 1980. Whatever, like they had a, a fresh, new, polished script that they used for these for 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 those actors. In this movie, they literally opened up the vault, took out the master script from 1994, gave it to the actors, and said, "Read it, weep it, memorize it, all that good stuff." There was very little that was innovative about this film. So, if I had to give this film a rating. Like between one stars to five, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it three, mainly because of the visual aspects of the film. That's what saved the film, in my opinion. But beyond that, there wasn't a whole lot of innovation. Like I feel like Disney just mailed it in and said, "You know what? We're gonna make profit off of this anyway. If not, we still got the Avenger money to worry about, so we good." Uh, I mean, if you're gonna assemble that amount of talent for a movie like this, like. At least give them something new. Give them something new to work with. I mean, you had Beyonce, you had Donald Glover, you had John Kenai, you had Whoopi Goldberg. Apparently, you had John Oliver, Seth Rogen. You, uh, uh, yeah, the the guy from Key and Peele. You had so many people. Like you had a rogues gallery of actors on on, on this project, and it came out mediocre at best. So I'm a little disappointed just because it's one of my, if not my my favorite. Disney movie of the 90s, and I felt like you did nothing to revamp it, to refreshen it from a dialogue standpoint. It was exactly, it was a shot-for-shot shot remake. There was nothing original about it at all whatsoever, besides from the visual aspects. So, man, I just wasn't feeling it. But, either way, let me know what you guys think. Uh, did you guys enjoy it? Do you guys feel the same way I do? Either way, hit me up 
uh, on social media at GM underscore cool, and let's talk about it. But we got to go to a break, and when we do come back after that break, I got my man Justin Alleman in the studio. We're going to talk hoops. We're going to talk music. We're going to talk all that good stuff, so keep it locked. This is Cool Radio, and we will be right back after these messages. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. As promised, we do have our guest of the evening, and he is no stranger to Cool Radio. This is actually his third appearance on the show, so he's basically family at this point. He was family when he first came here anyway, so regardless. Uh, but nonetheless, like I said earlier in the show, this man is a basketball trainer. He is also partaking in a few commercials, and he is adding author to his long list of titles. Ladies and gentlemen, he goes by the name of Justin Alleman, and he is in studio right now with me. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. Uh-huh. I love coming here. Like you said, it's a family thing now, so absolutely. Really Absolutely, man. So there's been a lot that you've been up to over the last since the last little while since you we were last year. I think maybe it's been a year or so, roughly, uh, since the last appearance, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know, man. I I, I really couldn't. I'd have to go back and look at it, but yeah. probably around a year. Yeah, it's been at least a year at the very least. But nonetheless, sure. you're back in the building, and I appreciate that. Uh, so let's talk about what you've been up to within the the last year or so since you've been here. Man, I don't even know where to start. It's, it's you know how my mind works. It's a mile a minute. Mm-hmm. But I feel like since I've been here, um, I mean, the last time you know, I started working with the Raptors organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, being Congrats on coach. the championship, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. you know, something that you always dream of as a kid. Mm-hmm. And finally, something like this could come true for me. So uh, it's a blessing, mm-hmm. you know. And not only that, but, I, you know, I'm an author now, mm-hmm. newly about to be published. So everybody stay tuned <laughs> for that because that's about to come out. Um, you know, same sticking to the same old thing, traveling. You know, I've been all over Asia, working with NBA Asia, doing different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, started another company out in LA. Um, I've, I mean, I've done a lot. Probably forgetting a whole bunch of things. Yeah, that'll that'll jog my mind a little later on, and I'll, I'll touch on those when it comes up. Right, right, right. And for those of you who don't know, what, what's your role with the Toronto Raptors as well? So, with me working in that Toronto Raptors organization, I'm actually with the Raptors 905. Um, G League team as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. So it was my first year doing it, and I really enjoyed it. It was, a, it was a pleasure being there. I gained a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge and, you know, got the ins and outs of the game and from every aspect. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just about, you know, being around players and doing the coaching stuff. It was mm-hmm. it was magical. It was magical. And to be a part of a season like what the Raptors had was mm-hmm. even even better. Like, you can't ask for a better ending than that. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we're definitely going to get into that a little bit uh, later on during the interview. Uh, what I want to ask you, actually, now is, uh, like, not only have you gone through changes, like, you've, you're you going to be adding, you know, some some rings to your hardware, but you already got a, another ring that you added on, you know, not too long ago. Uh, you are now a newlywed. Yeah, um, right. Absolutely, yes. And what's it like to balance your your type of work lifestyle to, to marriage life because now because you're an individual who travels a lot like you're all over the place asia la etc cetera, etc cetera. so how is it like balancing the, the traveling with you know the marriage life in, in that regard as well you know it's actually a lot easier than it, it seems people mm-hmm. think it's a lot tougher mm-hmm. um but it's about knowing your partner and being with somebody who you can trust and you know this ain't her first rodeo just because i got a ring on now and she has a ring on doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything changes and so we've been together for a while so we've we've kind of worked out you know, work-life balance and how we can do these things. And now, without it just being me traveling now, maybe it's like, ah, maybe I'll bring my wife. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To, to um, things that I could actually get away with bringing her to. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we've done that yet or not is 
soon to be <coughs> seen and noted. But yeah, yeah. That's the stuff that we work on now, and those are the things that we talk about and how we're able to think about how we can balance more things. And because I travel, I do travel a lot, so mm-hmm. you know, it's just knowing that maybe I can't stay for the seven days I wanted to. Maybe I can only go for the four days I need to be there, and then the other days I got to come back and take care of home because. We do got a home. Absolutely, man. Home is where the heart is, man. That's right. Absolutely. So let's talk about th- this book, actually, that, that you've been writing. Um, is what's what, First of all, what's the title of the book? Let's get to that. This book is called Before My Glory. Okay. Before My Glory. Sounds like a, like a 30 for 30 special, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's something like that. Yeah. Something like that, for sure. And so this book is actually a book about adversity. Mm-hmm. And obviously, every one of us go through adversity in our lives, mm-hmm. you know, from a young age, from when we're born, you know. It starts right. You know, walking is the first sign of adversity that we we take as human beings. Being able to talk, different things like that. And even though we can't talk and express ourselves as ch- as children, as kids, as babies, mm-hmm. we get up, we try to walk, we can't do it, we fall down. We get up, we try to walk, we can't do it, we fall down. So now we're going through some sort of adversity, right? So it just goes to show you that every one of us go through adversity. It's just different. So this book, um, it's a book on adversity, and I use my life stories to my life story and my experiences to um, share how I've dealt with adversity mm-hmm. and all the things that come with it. And, you know, no matter what adversity you're going through, you could still make something of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of how you might view success, um, you can make something of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been through a whole lot. So reading this book, you're going to come to find out like, you know, this guy wasn't handed everything on a spoon. He wasn't, you know, it didn't, things didn't happen overnight. There's a lot of stuff that went into what he had to do to get to where he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's just a crazy, crazy story. Uh, we can get into more detail about that if you want, but it, it touches on everything from, like, me being deaf, mm-hmm. which probably nobody knows, but I was deaf for a period of time, so, you know, couldn't hear a lick. You know, from, so it goes from that to, mm-hmm. you know, me not having parents in my life, um, to losing other family members, mm-hmm. to being thrown out, to, you know, losing jobs, losing my scholarship. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a whole lot of adversity to me, and then again, it's nothing that stops. It's just how you deal with it, right? Right. You know, so right. Like I always, I always believe that the way you like the way you deal with your adversity determines the the love level of character that you have. So, not everyone may have the formula of how to deal with adversity because everyone's different, right? We're exactly. not we're we're not all monolithic and what have you. Like we all have different ways of dealing with adversity. Some positive, maybe not so positive, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day it all determines our character and how how much we're willing to go through that adversity and what what um extent we're willing to go through in order to rise above it essentially. So I definitely think it, it's a story that needs to be heard because when people hear that you're like an at basketball trainer, you work for the NBA, you go traveling and what have you a lot of people, from what I've noticed, and not even just with, with your career, but any career that, that may sound like marvelous or spectacular, they see the finished product and they say, oh, man, like how did he or she get that? Like, oh, man, they're so lucky. But they don't know what happens behind the scenes. Like I've had people, you know, even comment on, on how, you know, I've, I'm doing this radio show right now or I've, or I've done television in the past or whatever. It's like, oh, my gosh, like you must, it must be so lucky whatever. Uh, and I'm just like, dude, you don't even know what half of it. Exactly. Like you don't even know. So like I feel like with you writing the story, I think it's it's very important that when people do read it, they understand the context of how you got to the point that you're at right now. And a lot of people don't even look at context. That's and, important. And this is exactly why I chose the title that I chose before mm-hmm. my glory. Mm-hmm. And for me, glory doesn't mean that you're you know this magnificent person or mm-hmm. you've gone to 
you know, to X amount of levels of success, glory to everybody, to me, mm-hmm. is measured differently by everybody. Mm-hmm. Your glory, everybody, every one of us has their own glory moment. So what my, your glory moment might be, you know, making your college team as a walk-on. Mm-hmm. You know, you had no business being there. You walked in and there, you, you made the team, you know, you mm-hmm. felt like this was your glory moment. Mm-hmm. You know, f- so for everyone, it's different. So my story is called Before My Glory mm-hmm. because people think that I'm at this stage in life where it's like, oh, he's at the ultimate success. Mm-hmm. But you don't know what happened before that, you know. And for me, my glory is just being able to be here and reach back out to people and show them that, hey, this is what my story is or this is how I got to where I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Inspiring other people. That's my glory moment in life. Absolutely. Like, it's it's like the difference between, like, let's say, like a LeBron James and a Pascal Siakam. Like, LeBron James already had all the expectations in the, in the world to be the next great thing, whereas exactly. Pascal Siakam, his dream alone was just going to, you know, America to, mi- to make something of himself as an NBA player. And lo and behold, he's one of the fastest rising stars in the league who got drafted so low anyway. So mm-hmm. everyone's measure of success is different at the end of the day. And I think that's the main thing to take away from your story and other stories alike. Like, not all stories should be measured against one another. You shouldn't be measuring yourself against anyone at all. Like, exactly. Everyone has their own path. You don't know how they got there. Exactly. Like just stick to what you're doing and whatever works for you will work for you. And exactly. I, and I feel like that's one of the, the points that you come across in your story, just listening to your brief synopsis about it too. Absolutely. For sure. I, you better reserve me a copy, man, because I'm ready to put money on that for sure. Say no more. Say I want to no put more. I want to put some money in your pockets, Wait man. Until the campaign comes out, we're gonna have the whole thing, and there's a book tour lined up and everything. With okay, it, so it might be a little short film, mm-hmm. um, book tour for sure. But you might see me in TIFF. So okay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Gotta get that cool drop. Actually, <laughs> there you go. Just next month too, man. That's next month. So I'm talking uh, about next year. Though. Oh, next year. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, damn, this man working hard. Like, how you, how you gonna I get? Mean, t- I'm working, but yeah. I got to get two submission in with like three weeks left, man. Crazy. Oh, man, you must be talking to Messiah right now. <laughs> but speaking of Messiah, let's talk Raptors, man. Let's, let's talk Raptors. So, I mean, they finally did it. They, they won an NBA championship. And I'll be very honest. I was not sure that I would be able to see a Raptors championship in my lifetime or if I saw it at a time during my life where I may not have as much love for the game anymore. Like, I was scared that one of those two things were going to happen. But lo and behold, they happened right now basically so first and foremost your immediate reaction when we got the larry ob back across customs i mean it was amazing like i said earlier it was something that i like you imagine it as a child right? mm-hmm. you imagine it as being that person who's holding it but as a player mm-hmm. i don't think any child who loves basketball grew up saying yeah yeah i'm gonna win the larry o'brien trophy but mm-hmm. i'm gonna be a coach when i do it mm-hmm. i mean I'm, I'm pretty sure there's some but not many, mm-hmm. you know. So when I actually got to touch and hold that thing, it was yeah. like, man, I see it on TV all the time. I yeah. see, you know, Kobe hold this thing up, Jordan, LeBron, like all these great people. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, man, this thing is shiny. Mm-hmm. Like it's so shiny. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, man, this thing ain't as light as it looks. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot heavier than it looks. Yeah. It's, it's a lot shinier than it looks. And it's just like, you know that there's like 100 people who have kissed this thing already. But yeah, you're just you like, you know care. what? Come here, Larry O'B. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you don't know when the next time is going to be. So exactly. Like, for me, it was like a dream come true. It was like, I j- again, like you, I never knew that, you know, someone in my lifetime mm-hmm. would be holding this up in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And and not only just, you know, Toronto Raptors winning, but me being a part of it and having something to do, right. no matter how small, you know, it was. Yeah. You know, that I would be one of those people <laughs> holding it up and being, uh, you know, appreciated for the efforts that I've contributed 
Right. And you and you see the Raptors winning the championship and like you see the, the the makeup of that team. It's filled with people who have literally been counted out at one point or another. I mean, you look at a team like there's no there's no lottery picks on the team at all whatsoever. No one had any expectations of any players who were on that team, maybe outside of Kawhi, you know, just because of the resume that he built up in San Antonio. But even before his career in San Antonio, he, he was just supposed to be at best a 3 and D guy. Like, again, we talked about Pascal Siakam. Fred Van Vliet wasn't even drafted. Uh, and then Masai Ujiri, like he has like arguably the most perfect immigrant story. You know, came out of Nigeria, didn't have a job with the NBA. He literally had to work for free for the NBA at one point in time and then got his GM stint in Denver and then came back to Toronto. And then, as you know, the rest is history. Uh, my question is this. We've seen a lot of players, a lot of Canadian talent come out of the league um, within the last, I'm going to say, 18 to 19 years, roughly, since Vince Carter dropped the atom bomb that was Vincenity. And he basically sparked off a generation of Canadian players who are now in the league, let's say Tristan Thompson, Corey Joseph, to name a few. And he did it off the strength of a dunk contest, essentially, and with his aerial acrobatics and game in general. With this championship win, do you see the next generation of NBA stars coming from Canada, like doubling or even tripling just based off of this championship win alone? Absolutely. Um, basketball in Canada has been something that's been on the rise for, for a numerous amount of years now, right? Just with the Raptors' success doing so well. Um, with us, like, like you talked about Vince Carter, you know, being that figurehead and, and doing what he's done for the, for the game of basketball in Canada, mm -hmm. that was more so my generation, yeah. you know, like, the generations now they didn't get to see Vince Carter. They never they weren't up at eleven thirty at night watching Vince Carter do those dunks and all mm -hmm. these sorts of things. So they only know Vince Carter based on what they see now. Yeah. Which is not much. Right. And then what we've told them. So <coughs> you know, the Raptor success over the past few years is what they're really knowing and that's what sparked most of the stuff for them. Mm -hmm. You know, and now with this championship, I think that basketball <coughs> in Canada is gonna be insane. Like, mm -hmm. Super insane. Um, even more so than it already is. So yeah. I, I think that the talent level is going to rise as more kids start to play basketball and the, com uh, the competitive level start going to start to rise. There's going to be more teams. There's going to mm -hmm. be more, you know, gyms being built and more things being offered in mm -hmm. terms of like you know trainers because I'm one of the trainers in the city. Right. So more trainers evolving and coming to light and wanting to help out and do things for the kids and the youth and, and the youth. So right. Definitely, there's going to be a lot more. And we have the talent, so why not? Exactly. And it's crazy because, like, I'm seeing the influence just, like, literally in, in my surroundings as well. Like, I, I live in Oakville, basically. So Oakville is, like, one of the most suburban places that you could think of. And when you think of Oakville, you might think of, like, the boonies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Don't even kill me on that. <laughs> it, it, trust me, it's as boonie. Like, it's it's really not that boonie. It really isn't. I think if you go on, like, the outskirts of Oakville, like, I don't even, I can't even think of any outskirts. But it's definitely not a boonie area. It's very suburban. Like, like two, like, one or two door garage homes, whatever, some townhouse complexes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's like it's like a very quiet version of Mississauga, if you think about it. It's a very qu quiet version. Like, none of the fun stuff they see in Mississauga is going to be in Oakville. That's the best way to describe it. But essentially, what I see in Oakville nowadays, like, that I did not see when I was growing up in Oakville, like, when I was a kid, mind you, moved around a lot of places, was there's a lot more basketball courts mm -hmm. in Oakville. You know what I mean? And, like, I'm thinking, and, like, that's... Oakville, like that's the most suburban place you can think of. You might think there may be a few soccer fields or baseball fields, or whatever, but basketball courts, please. But nowadays, like within like the last five years or so, if, if I'm just taking a casual like stroll on my bike, or whatever, just riding through Oakville or whatever, especially in the Lakeshore area, there are basketball courts, like outdoor courts. I'm just like, 
where was this when I was six or seven years old? You know what I mean? I always had to go to my cousin's house to go hoop or whatever. But like now, like, you see the influence. It's spreading. And when I see the success of the Raptors, it reminds me of when Team USA, uh, Dream Team, basically played in Barcelona back in 1992. To me, that sparked off the revolution for the rest of the world to catch up and play basketball. Because sure. a lot of guys like Dirk Nowitzki, Manu Ginobili, they were all watching from wherever they're at. And nowadays... The NBA is a global brand, essentially. So, like, I feel like that could be the atom bomb, but for Canada, essentially, that the next atom bomb, so to speak. For the sure. first one was Vince Carter. Now it's this one based on the championship win, and we already have picks who are being drafted high, like like top five, whatever. We've had Wiggins, we've had Bennett, we've had R.J. Barrett. So, like, it's only going to continue to grow from there. Um, I would say this, man. The only thing that kind of worried me a little bit about this championship win for the Raptors was the fact that Kawhi left. And I have no hate towards Kawhi for him leaving. Like he, It was a family decision for him uh, from, from what I find. So I'm not even mad at that from him. But despite that, a championship win wasn't enough to keep a star player. So do you feel as though that narrative will still continue for the Toronto Raptors going forward? It's tough. Um, and it's tough for me to say, but based on what I, you know, my own opinion, mm-hmm. I feel like it's always going to be tough um, unless we have, a Canadian-born star, right? Um, just because, um, especially when they come from a bigger city or a bigger state like California, mm-hmm. you know, they got the palm trees, they got the weather, they got <coughs> the, the lifestyle and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff like that. And you know, Toronto, Toronto um, winters, they ain't, they ain't friendly. They're definitely not. Definitely <laughs> so, not. Definitely not friendly. So, and needless to say, Toronto, beautiful city, one of the greatest cities in the world. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, regardless of where I am in the world, and and people agree. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I mean, some of the points that some of these players mentioned, mm-hmm. I guess it's its valid for, for them. Mm-hmm. I don't see it, but for them, mm-hmm. actually being from a foreign, from a different country, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Um, so whomever it is, the next star that we get, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's its harder for us to keep them here, but I don't think it's impossible. Because mm-hmm. we, we had guys like DeRozan who loves Toronto, who want to stay here, right. you know, so... It's definitely possible. You just got to find the right one, mm-hmm. right? So, and that's that comes down to a whole bunch of different things, right? That I don't even want to get into. Right, 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 right. For sure, um, I do agree with you on on the Canadian aspect. Like, it's it'll be a lot easier for us to retain a superstar or to like just sign one without even having him on the team initially if he is in fact Canadian. Like we saw that in in the NHL when the Leafs got uh, at, at the, what's his name, um, Tavares, who yeah. used to play, who used to live in Mississauga and what have you. Uh, I, I'll say this, I'll say this. I do agree with the Canadian point for sure, but I feel like when it comes to the Raptors as well, because of the multicultural diversity within Toronto and Toronto being arguably the biggest multicultural hub in all the world as far as the diaspora is concerned, I feel like if we're able to land an international player who is a superstar, I feel like that's also a possibility. That's true. Specifically, and I don't think it's out of the, out of line for me to say this, but I think within the next two years, I think the Raptors have a very good shot at landing Giannis Antetokounmpo, mainly because of the fact that not only is he international talent, but he has an established uh, relationship with Masai Ujiri. And there's so many things that, that go into the relationship, both personal and professional. I believe Masai was the first person who gave him his NBA tryouts and workouts for scouts to go and check out. And on top of that, he helped sponsor his parents' official citizenship within Greece. So it's not out of the ordinary for something like that to happen. But I feel like when it comes to international talent, I think that's where the the Raptors' bread and butter is because when it comes to international talent, 
they don't really have any qualms about whether playing whether they want to play for the Raptors or just any other organization in general because for all they've known, they've only known their home country, whether it may be Greece or Germany or Senegal or something to that extent. Man, you know a lot of information now. <laughs> a lot more than me about all this stuff. So Hey, I'm a journalist. Like, I did my research. Right? I kept just like, talking oh, nuts. His parents, Greece, what? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. But um, I know that's interesting, and, mm-hmm. I, and I see your point on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but my only counterpoint to that is not a debate. Sure, sure, sure. But even if you're in the States, it's international. They're all international. So we're international to them because mm-hmm. they're not Canadian. But I get what you, you're probably talking more of the overseas type of player, of international player. Right, right, right. North yeah, America. yeah. I'm talking about like like beyond North America, okay, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. And I feel like, and, and just to add to that, to the point I was trying to make, I feel like with the American players, depending on where they're from, like if they're from like the, the Northeast Coast, maybe not as much, but if they're from the South or the West, you'll see a lot more of it. But I feel like there's already an inherent bias against playing in Toronto because of whatever stereotypical notions they may or may not have heard through the grapevine. Whereas with, whereas with an international player, it's a bit more... There's, there's more of, of a greenness to it. It's like they're just going into an opportunity, not even thinking about any of that stuff because they don't hear those stereotypes on their side of the pond, so to speak. But with Americans... We're right beside the border, right? So they're gonna they're gonna say, "Oh, well, it's they, always cold all the time." They've been hearing like stereotypes that. about Canada, yeah. in general, their entire lives. Exactly. Like I used to play basketball in the states. My nickname was Canada. Right. They asked me if we have roads here. Right. Like, <laughs> oh my god! What do you mean? Do we have roads? Yeah. Don't you guys ride around on you know Eskimo? Like you don't live in an igloo? I'm like, oh my god! Oh, yeah, yeah, that's funny, huh? And, no, and you know what the funny thing is? There are certain places in America that are colder. Than certain like places I was in, in New York. I'm like, you guys are 45 minute flight from us. Yeah. You understand? Like, I could be in New York State in mm-hmm. 40 minutes in right. Buffalo. You know what I mean? I'm like, and technically, New York City pretty much has the same weather that we have here in Toronto. Exactly. It's exactly the same. It's There's nothing different about it. Like you when, get winter just like we just as bad. You get the summer just as hot. Like, yeah. Like, when that blackout happened in 03, it affected us too. Like, yeah. we, were that, we were that close in proximity. Chicago has some cold ass winters. I've never been to Chicago before, but I've seen pictures. That's all I need. <laughs> that's all I need to see. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, like, that's my outlook f- as far as, um, as far as, the Raptors being able to land like big name free agents, as far as I'm concerned, I think their best bet is to, in fact, either aim for a Canadian player who is at the top of their prime, basically, or to do the same thing for an overseas player, someone who's not from North America, because they don't come in with that inherent bias. They mm-hmm. just come in looking for an opportunity, because it's that it's that immigrant mentality. Like you're yeah. you're you 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 are working to live essentially, whereas with the North American mentality, it's like you're living you're you're Living to work essentially. Mm, yeah, gotcha. so I think I think that's one of the main reasons why someone like Giannis, for example, may we may have a realistic shot at getting him if he decides not to re-sign with the Bucks, and hopefully by the time he'll have a jump shot. Therefore, we'll have prime Giannis. He'll go back to the championship. We'll be two-time, two-time champions. A lot of good stuff. <laughs> that's my game plan. But nonetheless. Uh, we're going to get to the game portion, man. You already know how this goes. So we had a couple of games for you uh, to play that are lined up. So with that said, we're going to go to the first game, and that first game is Cool or Uncool, and it goes a little something like this. There we go. All right. So as you already know, in this game, man, I have a list of scenarios. Got me? So in this game of scenarios, you are going to let me know whether it is cool or uncool and i want you to 
feel free to give you some context as to why you think something is cool or uncool. So, Justin, are you ready for this? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. So, first topic, the Raptors getting a Christmas game officially as of this upcoming season. Cool or uncool? Definitely cool. All right. We do. We do. Um. I'll be honest, I kind of gave up on that like, like two or three years ago. I'm like, you know what? I don't really care. Whatever. But I was actually shocked when I found out the news today. I'm like, really? Even after Kawhi left, you're still giving us a Christmas Day game? Mind you, it'll probably be the first game of, 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 the, of the day, but I was genuinely shocked. I'm like, all right, well, I'll take it. I, I like basketball. <laughs> you know, you get in that um, national recognition. So, right. And not just in Canada, but all over America. We're anywhere else. Exactly. Watching, like, so. the, like, basketball is like the next biggest global game in the world next to soccer of course so it's gonna be broadcasting over 130 countries so you'll take the exposure when you can and when people take into consideration that when the nba finals happened it was the raptors and the warriors no one else existed on the nba landscape it was just those two teams and the whole world was watching so that's another thing that fans in toronto and canada in general just need to keep in mind of really um ad to the lakers cool or uncool pardon me ad to the lakers anthony davis Ah, uh, I mean it's cool. Okay, okay. But it's speak not your cool mind. At the same time, it's okay. not cool because well, <laughs> yeah, man, LeBron's always stacking his team, so <laughs> that's not cool. That's the not cool portion. Of okay, it. okay. And then I seen him come out this morning with the he had like a tweet or something that said something on the on the along the lines of you know the throne has been teetering back and forth between different players and players. Right. It's time for me to take the throne back. Right, right, And right. I was like, man, you weren't saying all this before you got Anthony Davis, Boogie Cousins. Right. You know, Danny, Danny Green. Green. You know, before you had your stacked team, you didn't say You I could know, have said right? this before all these You didn't say that last year when you, you had the, the young the young Why? boys. And my thing is this. It's always time right. to be on the throne. Why would you ever want to give that up if you're that guy? That, that's a fair point. I can't even argue against that. Uh I'll say this, and this is not really a, a LeBron knock. This is more of a Lakers knock because I, I can't stand the Lakers, nah, to I be honest. Lakers. I, I can't stand them. I'm sorry. I, I can go on for days about why I hate them. One of the things I hated the most is the fact that one of their reps came out and said how they felt cheated or betrayed by Kawhi because he chose the Clippers over them. And it's just like, why are you complaining? You have LeBron and Anthony Davis, and you have DeMarcus Cousins for cheap, and you got uh, the uh, Danny Green as well. Like, stop crying. And Rondo. And, and Kyle Kuzma. Exactly. Like, stop crying. Stop crying. It, it, it's that self-entitlement that the Lakers franchise tends to carry, which I can't stand. Um, speaking of Kawhi, uh, Kawhi alongside PG to the Clippers. Cool or uncool? I think that's very cool. The dynamics in LA and like that little battle between the two teams in mm -hmm. LA is gonna be something crazy. Right. Like they've never had anything like this. They've before. never had it. Even when Kobe was on the Lakers and Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were yeah. on the Clippers, people said it was a battle. It wasn't. Really it wasn't. And the NBA tried to force that on us. Like guys, we're not idiots. Stop. It man. was Lob City versus the Lakers. Yeah. No, the Lakers are always gonna win that battle. Right. But now, Clippers have a legitimate chance of knocking them out and then still losing to the Raptors in the finals. So, yeah. Cool. <laughs> there you That's go. Cool. There you go. Um, Rust to the Rockets, cool or uncool? I like it. Okay. Shake things up a little bit. Right. You know? So, Rust, my guy, like, I love how hard he plays. Mm -hmm. You know, and he's always going to bring a different dynamic. You never know what you're going to get. You might get a 0 for 25, or you might get. <laughs> Who knows, a 30-point triple-double. Right. 60-point triple-double. Exactly. Um, let's do two more. Let's see here. 
Kyrie to the Celtics. Or sorry, uh, no, no, no. Kemba to the Celtics. Cool or uncool? I don't know how I feel about that one. Okay. Do I really got to choose? I Kemba's my guy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I love his game. I love what he stands for, all that kind of stuff. I just don't know how much better they're going to be. It's right. going to be interesting to see, though. I'm going to say cool. Right, That's right. Cool. It felt like a lateral move to me because Kemba and Kyrie are the same type of player, but Kyrie's yeah. a little bit better in, in, that, yeah, in that regard. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like they'll still be a playoff team. They'll be like a three-seed, if anything. That's what I'm thinking, at least. Um, and then the player movement era, cool or uncool? It's cool. Like, you know, the game has evolved, and obviously the players have as well. Mm -hmm. And just for them to be able to choose where they want to play, I, I feel like that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But I just wish that they would just be like, look, this is the team of mine. Yeah. I don't need to team up with two, three other people to do what I got to do. Like, right. Let's just go back to old school basketball where, like, there was 15 teams that are pretty good. Right. That and never like, know what could happen. Right. Instead of now we four. know which teams are going to win all the time. So it's kind of right. like uh I feel like with this free agency, though, I feel like it's the most parity we've seen in a long time. Like, I know there's still a lot more work to be done because the Eastern Conference looks very amateur in comparison to the Western Conference. But at least it's a small step in the right direction. Like, there's no team in the league that has three bonafide superstars on it now. Yeah, the Lakers. Three bonafide superstars? AD, DeMarcus Cousins, LeBron. Yeah, but DeMarcus hasn't played like a superstar in at least like three years. Though. Like, no, when he was playing on Golden State, he was averaging 16 and 8. That's, was, those aren't superstar coming, numbers, It's though. not, but you got, you're playing on Golden State, though, so you have to understand there's still Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. Right, right, of know, course. All these guys. So if you could average 16 and 8 yeah. with four other all-stars on your team, that's pretty damn good. It is good, but we also have to keep in mind that DeMarcus was also coming off the injuries as well. He had the Achilles injury, and then he had that quad injury in the playoffs as well. So we're not. It's not, so it's not only that he was playing with four other stars, but he was also playing at not 100% health as well. Exactly. So how much of that is it really – how much of that is going to factor to next year? When he's actually healthy? Yeah. he gets the time, he's going to be better than he was. We'll, we'll see. I, now we're going to be like – so next year you, I want you to keep the same energy you have now. Okay. Because you don't like the Lakers already. I really don't. like. But now no. you're going to be complaining that, oh, they got three superstars in the uh, team. Okay, okay, I see what you, you mean. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. We could downplay him right now all we want because well, we haven't seen Well, to be fair, I did say that DeMarcus Cousins – I think I said this like five minutes ago as well. Like, they got DeMarcus Cousins for cheap as far as why the Lakers can play. Why are you complaining? Like, you got DeMarcus Cousins for cheap. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we know what he's capable of. Like, even, even during his uh, time in New Orleans, he was putting up, like, some serious numbers. Like, what, 23 and 10 maybe? No, Something, no, no. Or is it more than that? almost 30. Really? He was averaging like 20. Well, on, on, uh, on New Orleans? New Orleans. Uh, when he was with AD? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They both averaged pretty good numbers. Yeah, I, I think it was 26. It was 25 or 26 right. and like 12 or something crazy like that. I got to revisit that because, I, I, again, I was watching Pelicans games, but I know he was putting up all-star worthy numbers. I know that for sure. But, yeah, it should be interesting. And, yeah, Lakers, uh, I hope they don't win the championship this year. Me I'm too. sorry. I don't want them to. Uh, but nonetheless, let's get into the second game. This one's a personal favorite of mine. Uh, this one's called I'd Quit the Game. Every second, every minute, man, I swear that she can get it. Now, I want to emphasize the word alternates, all right? Because we are playing hypotheticals in this game. So you're in an alternate universe, so a multiple timeline, okay. where you are the eligible bachelor. So you're wheeling, dealing, kiss stealing, jet flying, limousine riding, and all that good stuff. However, it's time to quit the game. So you guys settle down with that one lady, move into the, the nice home, the white home with the white picket fence, with the apple pie cooling on the windowsill, tire swing, Spud McKenzie looking dog, all that good stuff. So if you had to quit the game for one of these two ladies that I've handpicked, 
Who would it be for? And we're going to play the 90s edition of I Quit the, the Game. Oh, right? Where everything was just a lot more natural and stuff. Mm-hmm. Hey, would you <laughs> would you quit the game for Neil Long? Done. Or, I, I know, I know, I know, I, I know, I know. Don't get me wrong. She's fine as hell. But nonetheless, for the purpose of this game, would you quit the game for Nia Long or would you quit the game for Karen Parsons, the girl who played Hillary Banks? Oh, I know who she is. Okay, okay. I'm just making sure because some people just say, oh, Hillary. But I had to I had to point that out. But nonetheless, who do you choose? Is it still Nia? My answer ain't going to change. Nia it, Long. It's Nia Long? Okay. Nia Long all the way. Okay. I, I just want to say that. There is no wrong answer. Like, both is a win. You know what I mean? For sure. (laughs) Definitely. And speaking of win, we're going to talk about everything winning because our next topics include LeBron James, all right? So, it's that plus a whole bunch more on Cool Radio. Keep it locked. We still got my man Justin Allen in the studio, and we will be right back after this. Yeah. Uh, Yes, yes, yo. Welcome back to the show. <clears throat> it's your man DM Cool, and welcome back to Cool Radio in studio. I still got my man Justin Allman. Say what's up to the people. What's going on? What's going on? I'm still here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, and you know what? Let's get into it, man. Let's go into trip talk. So three of the hottest topics that took over hip hop and pop culture and all that good stuff. And we start with LeBron James. So he kind of made some noise during this week, and for me, this was a non-story. But more and more outlets kept talking about it. I figured, okay, you know what? Let me let me entertain this for a second. So he made the news because um, during his son's AAU games and what have you, he would always have the tendency of, you know, dunking during their little layup uh, drills before the game would start and what have you. And then on top of that, he would be a little eccentric on the sidelines, whatever his team scored or his son scored or whatever the case may be. And there are people out there who have an issue with it. Uh, one of those people is Jason Whitlock, a sports personality for FS1, someone who I'm not a big fan of at all because he's very problematic to the black community, in my personal opinion. Uh, but not only him, but like other people were, were kind of weighing in on it, like ESPN weighed on it, of course, and all these other outlets. And for me, I don't see any of these things as a big deal, personally. But I'll get into my take later on that. But Justin, what's your take on all of this? I mean, I love that LeBron is excited. You know, he wants to do his thing. Mm-hmm. I got no issues with that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I feel like he could have done it in different ways. I, I saw the videos of what he was doing, mm-hmm. and I get it. You know, you want to be on the court with your son and everything like that. But mm-hmm. you are LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you're going to bring a crowd and you're going to bring attention. And, of course, you know that. Mm-hmm. I feel like he shouldn't have done that because at that moment, you know, the game is about to start. This is your son's moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you could always do that, regardless of anywhere you go. You got, you probably got a basketball court in your house. You know what I mean? You can mm-hmm. dunk with your son, do all these. Type probably of got things. two courts in this house. <laughs> God only knows. Yeah, but I mean, like at that moment, I feel like this is this is about your son. Mm-hmm. And with you coming onto the court, and, you know, he didn't just dunk the ball. The man teared off the rim. Yeah, yeah he did you the tomahawk. Yeah, tear off the rim. Yeah, it's taking, <laughs> it's taking attention off of your son and putting it back onto you. And at that moment in time, it's like <laughs> he's about to play his game. Let him do his thing with his teammates. Mm-hmm. Because not only about your son, it's about everybody else, too. Right. You know what I mean? Aside, aside from that, being eccentric and being excited, by all means, you want to get excited, do your thing, mm-hmm. hoot, holler. But, again, you, you shouldn't be coming on the court and chest bumping people. <laughs> because no other father is doing that. And, yes, I get it, you're LeBron James, but that doesn't mean you're any different. At this moment, you're just a father just like anybody else. Right. And 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 Tom and Jerry and David and whomever yeah. else have kids there – when their son makes a, a, a shot, they're not running on the court and charging and bumping chest in their sons. People would be like, what the heck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Get off the court. You know what <laughs> I mean? 
But because you're LeBron James, you're able to get away with these things. I don't feel like – I feel like just no parent should do it. If mm-hmm. you want to do these things, you could do it, but not at the moment when these kids are about to perform. Le- mm-hmm. Let these kids have their moment. Right, right. Um, I'll, I'll say this, and, and you're not wrong with, 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 with your take on that. I'll say this, though. I think for me, I didn't have a problem with it, mainly because of the fact that kids like who play in like AAU or like just like – rep league sports in general, what have you, it's not often that one of the kids' fathers on the team happens to be LeBron James and he's taking that much of an interest in it. Like, I don't imagine that these kids are like, yo, why why, why is this guy hogging the spotlight? I'm thinking to myself, they're saying, yo, LeBron James is on the court right now. It's not even NBA. So to me, I feel like they're just fanboying or fangirling, whatever the case may be. They're geeking out because LeBron James is dunking on their court and they're witnessing it in person for free, whereas somebody has to save up hundreds and hundreds of dollars to buy maybe like a nosebleed ticket where he may only come to play in your arena once or twice a year. So for them, I feel like they're just soaking it in because they're kids, right? They're they're like, what, 15, 16 years old, give or take? They're just geeking out at the fact that LeBron is dunking on their court. And not only that, but he's just taking a a general interest in their squad. So him hooting and hollering or bumping his chest whenever his son or his teammate scores a point or what have you, I feel like it's very encouraging to see that because, you know, let's be honest, the narrative in America, as far as the media is concerned, is the fact that black fathers are never around or are barely around or what have you. And the fact that not only do you have a black father who's around watching the games, but he's taking that much of an interest, I think something like that should be celebrated. Now, that's not to say that the narrative of black fathers aren't around are true because there's a certain truth to that, but I feel like it overshadows the fact that there are, in fact, black fathers around a lot more than what people may think. And I think... You know, LeBron be on the court, you know, as extra or as, as eccentric as it is, is just an example of that. So I feel like where people like Jason Woodlock are condemning him for that, I feel like, no, this should be celebrated. Yeah, yeah. Or it should just be left alone in general as if it's just natural. I could so, never condemn him for that. I'm just thinking, right. saying in the standpoint of, you know that there's cameras around, you know these things are, mm-hmm. are happening. At that moment, like there's other ways to go about doing things. Right. And I don't know. Uh Whoever, whoever else's father is there who happens to be black. Yeah. You know, he, he it's not to say that he's any less of a father because he's not of course. dunking on the basketball room or he's not right. bumping chests with the whole entire team. Right. He just knows, like, I just can't run on the court just because <laughs> my son dropped the three. Right. Because he's still playing. Right. You know what I mean? And it, it's only because LeBron is who he is, why he could do these things. And people right. would say, oh, cool. But if <laughs> someone else were to do it, it would be an issue. Right. You know what I mean? But when, when I think of that, though, I think of all the other cases I've heard or maybe just seen, like, virally of, you know, parents who just, like, kind of, like, micromanage their kids or whatever. And then whenever their kid gets fouled or gets called for a foul, they're rushing on the court immediately, yelling at the ref, John, the ref, like, why are you calling a foul on my kid for it? So, like, I see stuff like that. I'm just like, shouldn't – and I'm not saying you should uh, focus on this, but shouldn't the people who are, you know, raining on LeBron's parade, so to speak, shouldn't they kind of focus on those overbearing parents who think they can just, you know – take a ref out the game or whatever the case may be because those ones I feel like should get like the the, the red flag so to speak because to me it's like if you want to say you know you can't be coming on the court doing the chest bump with your kids then you definitely can't be on the court pointing and jawing at the ref Absolutely. and being like yo you you gave my kid a foul what are you talking Absolutely. about like it's it's got to go both ways it has to like, yeah even Le- LeBron doing this 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 stuff shouldn't even be news right let, it shouldn't who, be whoever's in that gym if they have an issue with them let them speak right hey LeBron no like I want to dunk, or you know what I mean, or whatever the case is. Right. People in the gym, you guys can deal with it. it yeah. It shouldn't be, oh, my God, LeBron's dunking on Should he be doing this? Or yeah. Should he not? 
That's a non-story. This is this can't be a story, right? You know what I mean. And I literally wasn't even going to talk about this until I kept on hearing more Not and more us. and more feedback. Of course, because yeah. it's a thing now, you right? Know what I mean? But I mean, like for the people who created it, created that narrative at, from the beginning, it shouldn't have been like a thing. He's yeah, a, he's a he's a father named LeBron James, of course. So he's he's you know he's popular, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't have been like a debate where people were like, oh my goodness. <coughs> Yeah, at the end of the day, he's just a father who's showing appreciation for the sport that he mm-hmm. loves. He plays. He's, you know, dedicated to his entire life. Mm-hmm. And if he wants to dunk, he can dunk. But maybe he should have just threw some lobs to the kids or included them somehow. Right. Instead of just keeping the spotlight on him. Like right. He could have been like, yo, Bronny, boom. Throw the, or whoever else on yeah. team, bang. Let them show what they can do. And right. he's just assisting in that. Then it's just, you know what I mean? Instead of being like, oh, you guys are dunking. <laughs> Look what I can do. Right. What if you're not the, there yet? Yeah, you're not there you're not yet. Dude. What if it was the other way around where the kids are throwing him lobs and they're just like, yo, uh, then it, then LeBron's dad, yo, exactly. yo, do a lot for us. Do a lot for us real quick, real quick. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Then I would see it like, okay, cool. You know, they want him to be here. He's included. Yeah. And not saying they didn't want him to be there. Right, right, right. But he got the ball himself. He's like, I'm going to just, yeah, this guy yeah. just dunked. No, 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 I got this. Right. Or you know what? Here's another point that we may not even know. What if one of the kids was like, Yo, Bron, can you do some dunks for us or whatever? Yeah, like, we like, don't know like, that. Yeah, we don't know that because we, we only know. saw the camera when it was actually on LeBron James. We don't know if Bronny or his teammates were like, yo, LeBron's dad, yo, come on, yo, you, you got to do a few dunks for us, man. Just just one or two or whatever. We don't know that. We don't know that. We only report on or not even report. We only discuss. On what we see. On what we see, right? And, and that goes back into the conversation of context. We, like, we don't know what happened before that video started rolling. We don't know what conversation took place before. Uh, LeBron started dunking that that enticed him to start dunking. You know what I mean? So all these hot take artists like Jason Whitlock, whatever, like, I don't know. They need to, like, just cool down a little bit. Hey, man, opinion. they get paid for this stuff. They, so they guess, do. They do. That's what they do. They do. They do. That's their whole shtick, and I get it. But I don't know. I feel like I feel like my intelligence gets insulted sometimes when I when I hear it through the grapevine about what they about what they say. Most of these shows I don't even watch because I feel like I'm being insulted. Yep. <laughs> but it is what it is, man. Um, either way, though, what do you guys think? Should LeBron have been inv- invited or involved in these little layup slash dunk drills? Either way, hit me up on social media at CC. Now, let's talk about – let's take a break from hoops for a minute. Let's talk about ASAP Rocky. Now, ASAP Rocky, as we all know, he's kind of going through this whole ordeal in Sweden as far as the assault allegations are concerned. And his trial proceedings – took place today in Sweden, and I don't know if he was on the stand today, but his accusers were on the stand, and they were making up this uh, story about how they didn't know who ASAP Rocky was and how they were just following them to see if they can get directions to a certain area in in, in Stockholm. And I'm listening to that, and I'm like, hold on. So you're asking the foreigners for that's directions. Exactly, that's exactly what I'm thinking. In in to to get to we to get to somewhere in Stockholm. It's next. Week. Yeah, and when we just so happened to whip our headphones at the foreigners, we didn't know that something was going to escalate. So I was calling BS automatically from the jump when I heard that. But um, Alderman, what's your take? I know you kind of give a little mini take right now, but expand on that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's just like you said. I feel like it's BS. Right. You're in Stockholm, Sweden. You see ASAP Rocky. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look like he's from Stockholm, Sweden. Right. You know what I mean? You. So it, it's. I mean, there's not a lot of black people in Sweden. I, if I, I could humbly guess. Sweden, so right. I, exactly. And it's just like, you know, you've got to know 
at some point that I'm, I'm pretty sure he wasn't walking by himself. Mm-hmm. He's probably surrounded with security, <coughs> your bodyguards, or whomever his his entourage, whatever. Yeah. It is. So when you see things like this, you automatically know, okay, this guy's not from here. Right. And even if he is, he's probably not the person that I should be asking for X, Y, and Z. Right. You know what I mean? So it just goes to tell me that these guys are probably making it making up whatever they're saying. Right. It's it's hard to believe that you don't know who. <laughs> these people are not from here. Exactly. Like you don't even know. You don't even have to know who he is, but you should already just recognize off the bat that he's probably not from here. Oh, people don't have Google over there, or something? right? What's going on? Google and the directions. Exactly. And they must have known that if he wasn't ASAP Rocky, then he was somebody of some importance yeah. because of the fact that he had an entourage around him and yeah. what have you. Um, yeah, my whole thing about this whole entire ordeal overall is that it's it's stupid. Like, yes, I get it that ASAP put hands on the on the guy after he was antagonized for so long, but he shouldn't. Like, this whole thing should have dragged out to this point because he's he's been in Sweden for almost a month now yeah. because of this whole ordeal. Like, it should have been a thing where at best he gets fined because of the assaults or whatever, and then he goes about his merry way. But they they got this man in in, in captivity right now because of it. I heard something like two years. What that he they, the, the, try, they didn't say it, but uh-huh. they're trying to give him two years, something like that. Which is absolute horseshit because if you watch the video, those those assailants assaulted his camp first. Yeah. Like they threw the headphones at his bodyguard, and the joke is those guys didn't even get arrested for that. Yet it's on camera. But then you choose to arrest ASAP Rocky because he did he did a Hulk Hogan on on, on one dude. Like <laughs> come on. Come on. It's, it's all bullshit. Like, free ASAP Rocket. Like, I'm not crazy about ASAP, but, like, I got to point out when wrong is wrong. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, free ASAP Rocket. That's all I got to say about that, man. But, nonetheless, what do you guys think about that story? Again, you already know what it is. Hit me up on social media, at Cool Radio CC, and share your thoughts on that. And final topic for Trip Talk. Let's talk about Carmelo Anthony real quick, all right? So, I don't know if you caught the news today, uh, but he was on first take. And he did a one-on-one sit-down with Stephen A. Smith. Mm-hmm. And they were basically discussing... What has happened in his career at this point as to why he's not on an NBA team? He went into detail about the whole Houston ordeal as far as how he got let go and how it was a one-on-one conversation between him and Daryl Morey after 10 games and saying how they want to move forward and, and how his services are no longer required. And he asked Chris Paul or James Harden if they knew anything about it. They both said no. And he was also going to detail – well, not detail, but just generally saying how he feels as though – he should be good enough to make it on any 15 team or a 15 man roster on any NBA team in the league right now, and that he doesn't understand why he's not on a team and what have you. Um, I have my thoughts. It might, I might go a little long winded on this, so I want to start off with you. Um, what's your thoughts on not just this whole thing with Melo and his sit down interview with Stephen A. Smith, but as far as his career has progressed and why you believe that he is not on an NBA team right now? Uh, it's tough. But um, I think it stems from, you know, earlier on in his career with his, his, you know, people said that he had, you know, attitude problems. And, you know, he, he wasn't willing to adjust his game to certain styles and mm-hmm. certain coaches or whatever mm-hmm. it have, have been. You know, I wasn't there in the room, and I'm, I'm still not there. So I don't know the finer details. Mm-hmm. But that's just what I heard. And I could agree to some point, mm-hmm. you know, to some extent on those things that were mentioned. But uh, it's crazy. I, there's no way, in my opinion – that, like you said, mm-hmm. that he can't make a 15-man roster on not one NBA team. There's 30 teams. Mm-hmm. There's 30 teams that he can't make one, not one. <laughs> we no no no. We ain't talking about pickup. We're talking about an NBA team. <laughs> <laughs> he can't make one. That to me means that, like you said, it's something bigger than basketball. 
And whether he figures that out or his agent or whomever it is that's, mm-hmm. you know, managing him, that's <laughs> something that needs to be figured out because it's 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 unfortunate because to me, Carmelo, uh, you know, he's one of the best scorers that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I put him up there with anybody and say, who's going to take who one on one? You know what I mean? Carmelo can hold his own. And there's always going to be a spot for somebody on a team, or so I thought, mm-hmm. who can get a bucket. And he can get a bucket. Um, and there's there's guys that are on rosters that never even see the floor. And you mean to tell me Melo can't even be one of those guys? I mean, he deserves to see the floor, but that's insane to me. So it's – I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> uh, the chickens have come to roost. <laughs> I'm going to say this, man. And for the last few years, I have been crucified as a Melo hater. Like, oh, here we go. Th- yeah. So people have been coming from my throat about – my critique on Carmelo Anthony. When he was on New York, after maybe that first or second, maybe that second or third year, give or take, I said that Carmelo Anthony is probably one of the most overrated players in the league. Oof. And my thing is this, and this is back in like 2013, maybe 2014, give or take. Not there anymore because he's dropped, obviously. But here's my thing with Carmelo, and my beef with Carmelo Anthony, I'll say. He has been the same type of player from 03 up until now, he's always been that high volume scorer, that that mid range shooter, that the guy who will always put his foot on the line for the from the three point area. He doesn't he doesn't commit to defense. He's not a good playmaker for others. And over the course of his career, he hasn't added anything into his game that would make him a viable option for a team to use. And on top of that, when it comes to playing on the bench. I mean, we all saw the press conference when he, when he went to OKC. He laughed at the idea. He's like, yo, P, they want me coming off the bench. <laughs> like, the, to me, that was almost like the whole practicing from Allen Iverson. And speaking of which, I made, that, I made the comparison between him and Allen Iverson. I said, if he doesn't improve his attitude and change his outlook and at least open it up to the possibility of being a reserve player, whatever the case may be, his career is going to end up in the same trajectory as an Allen Iverson. And it's looking like that right now. It's not that he can't hoop. We know he can hoop. Like, I may not be the biggest fan, but I'm not going to say he can't hoop. Like, that's just disrespectful. I'm just saying that he's not willing to adjust his game to fit any type of team. And sure, we can joke about how there are players who don't see playing time or players who aren't as good as Melo uh, who are on teams right now. But my thing is this. It's not about his talent. It's about his skill set and whether or not it fits the identity of a particular team. So if we're comparing to, like, let's say, like a Tony Snell, for example, obviously Melo is better than Tony Snell. But what Tony Snell possesses is 3 and D abilities. He can shoot from long range, and he has the ability to cover wings on defense. That's what he's there for. And he's, like, what, 6'9", six, 6'10"? Six, so my thing is this. If you're, not able to, if you're not able or willing to adjust your game to fit today's modern NBA style on top of compromising what you've been told your whole entire career that you're a star player, that you're the man, then you're not going to get any offers or very few offers from any team at that point because no team wants to deal with the headache. On top of that, I feel as though when it comes to Melo, because of the fact that he is so ball dominant, I feel like certain teams may feel as though they may be better off without him and may be an addition by subtraction uh, type of scenario. For example, when he got traded from the Nuggets to the Knicks, the Nuggets won, won 57 games that year. They were like 57 and 25. At the time, it was their best record in franchise history because everyone got the ball. When Jerry Sackhouse was playing for the Pistons in the early 2000s and then they traded him shortly after, they won the championship a year later. 
when Rudy Gay was playing for the Toronto Raptors and then they traded him, the Raptors went on their We the North movement and we already saw what happened with that. So in situations like those, it could be an addition by subtraction scenario. Now we have high volume scores like a Lou Williams, for example, but with Lou Williams, he knows his role. He knows he's that off the bench scorer. He knows that. He's been knowing that since what, 2012, 2013, roughly when he was playing for the Atlanta Hawks, he's known that. And since then, that's been his calling card. And sure, he'll spend like one year on this team, one year on that team, because everyone wants to have a higher gun on, you know, on the bench or what have you. But he knows that's his role and he's comfortable with that. Melo just has an ego about him where he feels as though he is the man. And yes, we've seen him play on Houston and OKC where he wasn't the man per se. But at the same time, not only did he have that mentality, but again, his game hasn't changed and the worst thing about his game not changing is that his numbers have gone down so it's like why have that type of style of play on our team with a lack of production if he was at least getting that 2011 production that's one thing but now you're averaging numbers of like maybe like 13 14 points a game on not the best shooting percentages no team is going to want a guy who's going to hold the ball for about 15 60 seconds with a shot clock and then pass off to somebody at the last second because you couldn't get your shot off so my thing about Melo is he hasn't adjusted to the modern-day NBA, and he just hasn't changed his game at all. And he can post all the, all the Instagram videos of, about him shooting in empty gyms or whatever, but to me, those are nothing more than thirst traps that aren't trapping anything at all. So I'm sorry, Melo, but you got to do better than that. Like, it sucks that you can't get a job in the league anymore, but I don't know. I'm just not one of these tinfoil wearing hat guys who thinks it's a conspiracy or something like that. That's, no, like, we've seen it for years, and now we're recognizing it. So that's my take on that. Oh man, you went in. I'm like, uh, that was going to be my opening thing for the for the show, to be <laughs> honest. But I'm like, nah, let me get this Lion King shit in real quick. But that's my take on it, man. I just he's got to open his eyes, man. I'm sorry, like not just him, but his fans as well, which I'll get into later. But he's got to open his eyes. He's got to open his eyes. So you think there's no team in the league that he can play for right now? I'm not saying there's no team in the league he can play for, but based on the rep that he's built for himself over the the course of his career. It shouldn't. It's not surprising as to why no teams want to take a chance on. Like, let's say if Atlanta had a spot for him, would he really want to play in Atlanta? Like, would you see him play in Atlanta? I don't see that. Like, I know Vince Carter will, but Vince Carter just wants to hoop because he knows he'll get a chance to play to, to hoop if he plays for a sub five hundred team that has no chance of making the playoffs. He'll know he'll get playing time. But Melo, at this point in career, he wants to contend. So, of all the teams that are contending in the league right now, there's probably. You can say like the first eight teams in the Western Conference because the West is just stacked. And then maybe about four teams in the Eastern Conference have a chance at contending. So you look at all those teams and you look at the genetic makeup of those teams as far as their identity, their style of play and what have you. You really have to ask yourself, what team does Melo fit? Because a lot of these teams, minus the Lakers, are all about culture. All right. They're all about culture, identity and building some sort of a sustainable foundation of how to carry on that culture going forward for the players who are in their prime and for the 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 uh, the younger players who are trying to make a name for themselves, too. We have to ask ourselves, this is more of a rhetorical question. Does Melo fit the identity of any of those teams? The only team maybe I can see is the Lakers because they're all about ring chasing at the end of the day. They're all about ring chasing. They don't care about building up culture and all. They just want the, the quick ring, and that's it. That's probably the only team I can see him playing for. But if we're to be completely honest, speaking of the Lakers, LeBron could have picked up the phone and made something happen. He made something happen with AD. He made something happen with Dwayne Wade when he played in Cleveland for half the season. But he didn't make anything happen for Melo. Maybe he recognizes something that I've been saying for the longest time, that other people have been saying for the longest time. So if you're a boy... 
of 15, 16 years, whatever the case may be, could even get you to come on the Lakers? I don't know. I mean, that that has to say something. It's a great point. And LeBron does have a lot of pulls. So. He does. He has his I own mean, sports agency, for goodness sake. Free agency is still on right now. so It is. Who knows? And after Melo made that outcry and made that, you know, that little interview and everything, who yeah. knows what happened? Yeah. Maybe somebody will turn their eye and say, you know what, let me give this guy a chance. Because they have been talking about a farewell tour, saying, does he even deserve a farewell tour? I don't think he does. And I'm not saying that as a hater, but, like, You've been hating. I whatever. Like, I call it hard constructive criticism. All right. It's not. I'm, I'm saying he sucks. I'm saying that he doesn't fit today's. You're just saying NBA. he's not good. Sorry. You're not saying he sucks. You're saying he's not good. I don't. I'm saying he doesn't fit today's NBA standard. That doesn't so mean you that, think you should be in the big three. I'm sorry. You think you should go and play big three? Oh, I've I've actually said that. Yes. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I said I I've literally said that his style fits the big three. Because the big three is basically throughout three basketball where you always have that one guy who's going to play ISO-ISO and then try to score on his own on most of the possessions. I mean, look at if you look at the guys who are playing in the big three, I mean, think about it. You have Joe Johnson who play, who's playing the big three. You had AI who played in the first season of the big three. You had no, – All these guys are geezers. They're done. And Carmelo is 35 years old. He's kind of approaching geezer territory in the basketball sense basically. Tough. It's disrespectful. Listen, man. Like, I'm not trying to be a dick, but it's either big three or overseas. Pick one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, if you want to be the man that you think you are, that you've been uh, throughout the majority of your career, you still want to be the man. And you don't want to let go of that. Big three or China. Like, look at Jimmer Fredette. Man's dropping 75 points in a game. Come on, like, Jimmer Fredette is not I, Anthony. I know. I know. I'm just saying, if you want to be the uh, – um, this is what I'm trying to say, though. Jimmer Fredette is the man in China. You know what I mean? If Jimmer Fredette can be the man in China, someone who was drafted in the NBA but didn't make it past year five, then you could have a Denver Mello all over again. Like, look at Stephon Marbury. He reinvented his career in China. He said, look at how many buckets I'm dropping. Look how much the people love me here. I'm not going back for shit. I'm staying in China. Ni hao, bitches. Like, that, <laughs> that's, the, that's the mentality that Mel should have. I'm telling you. And he would have a rabid fan base. But you have to understand it's the same thing that you spoke about with, like, players coming to Toronto or things like that. China ain't home. It's and true. It's definitely not even close to being as much home as Toronto is. Now, that's foreign, foreign, mm-hmm. where they're not even speaking English, half mm-hmm. of the people there. Some of your teammates not going to speak English. <laughs> I don't know if your coach speak, speaks English. The food is going to be way different. Right. Like, obviously, they did that for little stints doing the USA basketball and stuff, but this is right. talking about a, a whole entire season. Now, a whole, you know what I mean? Like, players go over there and come back, not because the money's not good, but mm-hmm. because and not because the lifestyle is not good. It's just different, too different right. from what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's out of their comfort zone, so I don't know. Right. Well, I'm just saying, like, if you if he wants to have, like, a renaissance career again and what have you, if he, if he really wants to be the man. Washington. Uh, 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 I don't know, man. They got a lot Wall of. Wall at the one, Beal at the two, Melo at the three. Whoo! Dude, Press that, that cool button. I, that bomb nah, out. I can't, man. I'm sorry, Throw man. I, I can't. I can't. Like, that's, bomb out there. It doesn't fit, man. It does not fit. Throw the bomb out there. It doesn't, like. I know you didn't think about it. Now you're like, oh, my goodness. No, 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 no. Not at all. It doesn't fit. It. it does not fit. You're going to have. You're gonna have Passes Prime Mellow washed wall and oh. then and get me out of here, Beal. Basically, that's not that's a recipe for disaster. They've always been a dysfunctional team for the last what four or five years. That'll make them that much more dysfunctional. They don't even have a GM right now. Did they make playoffs last year? 
They did not. So how much worse could it get? So you really want them to throw money at Melo and say, hey, let's see how not this throw works? money. Melo doesn't need money. What he needs is an opportunity. Give him the veterans minimum and put Melo on your team. But my thing with the Wizards is that they should be focusing on rebuilding. Like, in my opinion, they should have traded Beal already. He's not re-signing with that team, especially after the fact that they lowballed him on that $100 million, $111 million offer when he's already getting paid $128 million on his current contract. Like, how are you going to give a man an extension and have the extension be lower than your current contract? I didn't even know about that. If that's true, that's insane. Like, come on. Like, that lets you know that they put so much money into Wall's contract, which they hogtied themselves to. Like, congrats to Wall. You got your money. Get paid, big man. But... <laughs> Man, they have to clean house. And I don't think adding mellow is the right fit. I'm not saying this because of a mellow thing. I'm just talking in general. They got to hit that reset button. Start off young. Build up your, your core talent and go from there. Like the wall Beal project is over. It's dead. It's <laughs> dead. It's finished. It should have been finished from the moment the Raptors beat them in the playoffs last year, man. Which I was very happy about, by the way. Because I am so petty against the Wizards. You have no idea. I hate the Wizards almost as much as I hate the Lakers. Almost, but not completely. And, and then almost as much as you hate Carmelo. I don't hate Carmelo. I just, I, I don't, I don't see the hype behind him. Like, I'm sorry. Like Denver Mello, I'll give you that. Denver Mello was nice. He was that. Like, yeah, that was his, his scoring prime. And I give uh, credit to him during those times because he made Denver relevant again. Denver hadn't made the playoffs in like God knows how many years. Twenty years. I don't think it was twenty years at the point. I think it was at least ten years. That that year where they had Matumbo when they beat the SuperSonics, I was like '94. I think that was the last time they made the playoffs. So for him to bring them out of obscurity in the Western Conference in his first year, I give him credit for that. And it looked like they were building to something. Even when they got Chauncey Billups to play the point, I'm like, okay, they might be building something. But he comes to New York, and I'm like, dude, you were balling in Denver. You can't ball in New York? Like, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, it, they had that one year in New York. They had the one year, yeah, the yeah. one year. And, you know, and, and the thing – and here's the thing about Melo. I think Melo's selfish, honestly. He's just selfish. Like, remember when Lynn Sandy sparked up? Yep. I specifically remember that the, that the, the, the Knicks were, like, 11th, 10th place in the Eastern Conference. They were, on, they were teetering on, you know, making it or not making it into the postseason. And then Lynn Sandy happened. And they were able to sneak into the postseason. Yep. And then you heard all these whispers about Melo being jealous about all the success that, that Lynn Sandy was getting because he wanted all that. He wanted all that glory from the New York crowd to go to him because think about it. Being the guy to resurrect New York into the playoffs again, you are the man because New York is the largest market, of course. Of course. But instead it went to Jeremy Lin, this unknown guy who came off the bench who's not even black. You know what I mean? Like, no, really, like, certain players are like, oh, if you're a black guy, it wouldn't be that big of a story. No, it's a big story because it happened in New York. Yeah. If this happened in Milwaukee, Lindsay wouldn't really be a thing. It would just be like, oh, he's a really good player. But Lindsay became a mega story in the world of media because it was a relative, not even relative, he was just unknown altogether, bringing the Knicks out of out obscurity. Him being Asian was an added bonus because there's a large Asian demographic in certain parts of America and the Asian demographic in the world overall is stupidly large. Yeah. So that's what added to it. But I guarantee if this happened in like Houston or or Oklahoma City, it wouldn't be a main news story. But Mello saw that as I could have gotten that attention. That could have been me. And then he had his attitude about it and I wouldn't be surprised if he was the reason why they didn't extend a contract offer to, to Jeremy Lin afterwards. I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. 
I don't know. I don't know. It's all speculation. It is all, all speculation, but I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think you'd be surprised. Yeah. You're a Bella hater. <laughs> I'm not a hater. I'm, I'm just I'm just an objectionist when it comes like a hardcore objectionist when it comes to Bella. I said like like I said I gave him credit for the Denver years. If I was a true hater, I wouldn't even give him credit for that. I'd be like I would be like screw him and his grave and all that stuff. But I am just a hardcore objectionist when it comes to Bella. That's all I'm saying. But nonetheless, oh no, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. It, it's just like some people don't like LeBron, and before when he when he had his first stint with Cleveland, everyone's mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, I love LeBron. Da da da. Mm-hmm. Then he left. Cleveland and everyone and people were like, ah, I don't like LeBron anymore because he went to Miami. Right, right, right. So there's those people who like LeBron. I loved LeBron when he was in Cleveland the first mm-hmm. time, until he switched teams and then he became that the villain of the right. League. He wore the black hat. He was yeah, a John yeah. Wayne. It was like that sort of thing. So maybe that's mm-hmm. what happened to you. Nah, no, not at all, not at all. Definitely not. Definitely not. I think with me, it's just like. I see Melo. I saw him in his Denver years. I'm like, okay, this guy's nice. Like, he could be one of the greats in the NBA. Like, the whole LeBron versus Melo thing could be a real thing um, if we see it in the future as far as, like, NBA Finals or something like that. And then he went to New York, and I'm just like, like, why are we still giving this man, like, top five attention? Like, he's not top five anymore. Like, it, it got to a point where he wasn't even top five at his position. And people like Stephen A. Smith were trying to cape for him, saying, oh, this is blasphemy. Bla- oh, my God, blasphemy. You know what I mean? I'm just like, dude, he's not top five in his, in his own position anymore. Like, at best, he's top 20 overall. Point is this, man. Point is this. I just think after a while, this whole New York run, it's like, okay, Melo, like, what are you doing now? Like, it looks like you're just you're, it looks like you're just stash stuffing at this point. You know what I mean? And my thing with Melo is this. On top of all of that, it's like, you have the opportunity to either play like if you if you really cared about winning because to me I think he just cares about getting the bag in my opinion. If he really cares about winning and like bringing a championship home and what have you with the with the amount of talent that he has, he either would have taken less money to keep that that 2013 team together with Tayshawn Prince and Jason Kidd and all that or not Tayshawn Prince sorry uh, Tyson Chandler and Jason Kidd and all those guys to keep it together and to possibly add to that so you can build something. Or he just would have left New York altogether and be like, you know what? I tried it out. It wasn't a good fit. Let me see where I can take my talents possibly. Maybe I can join forces with Derrick Rose or something like that. Like, you could have done something like that. But you said, no, I'm going to take the bag. And, like, I get it. I'm not going to be mad at you for taking the money whatever. But don't try and tell us as viewers of the game, whether it's media personnel or or what's it called? Or, um, or fans. And say that you care about winning. Because clearly you don't, man. You don't care about... I, I don't think he cares about winning. Like, he even said that an Olympic gold medal is, is worth more than NBA championship. And Stephen A flamed him for that. And you know Stephen A is the ultimate Carmelo apologist. <laughs> so, I don't know, man. Like, I, I get it. Get your money. You want to sustain your, your lifestyle. You want to help your family. I get it. But don't lie to me and say you only care... You, that you care about winning as well. I'm sorry. We don't believe you. You need more people. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like I said, it, it's all opinionated. So I can't sit here and say that a man who's dedicated his life to basketball does not care about winning. He's been a champion all his life at every single level besides the NBA. So to sit here and say he does not care about winning an NBA championship would be saying, like, it, I just can't see that he does not care at all. Like, I get it. You want to get paid to play basketball. We all do. But maybe he just wanted to go about it a different way. He didn't want to join forces and make a super team like many other people have done. Like, I, I heard <laughs> that he could have joined, you know, uh, Dwayne Wade and, and, and Bosh LeBron, and LeBron yeah. them in Miami. But why go out like that? Isn't that 
cheating your way to a ring or that isn't that ring chasing? Right. And I would say and I would say this, like he didn't have to go to a super team per se. He could have just gone to a better situation where he could have been the focal point and then they would have added tertiary players that complement his skill set. So similar to what he had with the Knicks, where he was a star guy, and then you had other players around him who fit specific needs and roles, that wasn't a super team. That was just a legitimate, strong team. By the way, Paul George beat that team in the playoffs. I just want to add that right there. <laughs> I'm just being petty. But um, <laughs> but it, real talk, though, he could have just joined a different situ- situation and, re- and realized that New York is not the best situation for him. You tried it out for, what, two, three years, give or take. You had one decent playoff run, I'll call it, and nothing amounted to that. Try something else. Why the hell did you stay in New York? Hey, man, some people still are big on loyalty. Maybe he's one of them old school guys who are big on loyalty. So then, then why not stay in Denver? Aside from that. <laughs> aside from that. Sometimes you get one team, sometimes you get two, but now he's got like four or five on his plate. Nobody, he's collected jerseys at this point. Like, yeah, he like collected more jerseys than Wade. Like Shaq at the end of his, <laughs> like Shaq at the end of his career. Man's on every team. Yeah, Shaq got reckless at the end of his career, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's just gambling. Oh, let me yeah, all right. Yeah. Oh. Every week he was on a different team, you know? So, right. I don't know. For, for To see a great player like that, like those go out like that, I feel like it's tough. It's just tough to watch. Like now I know that you're – it's either you need the money or you're ring chasing. Shaq, I don't believe he needs any of the money. So I don't know what no. the heck he was He was doing. just ring chasing at that point. He was just on a world tour or something. But here's the thing, though. Like, he I could don't be ring chasing and – Ah, he was ring chasing. He was. I mean, he joined the Celtics. He joined Cavs. He said he LeBron. even it up with Kobe. That's what he wanted to do. Yeah, he, I, I know, right? <laughs> like, he, look, he wanted Whatever to do that. it took to get there. But then again, Kobe didn't have He didn't have uh, five rings at the time. He had four, though. He had four, yeah. He, so they were tied. Because he had three with Lakers and so he had one he Miami. Wanted to win more than Kobe. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Um, here's the thing, though. Like, everyone, people, everyone, everyone who's saying it's a conspiracy and all that stuff, which, again, I'll get into in the final segment. I mean, think about it like this. Dwight Howard is currently without a team right now. And Dwight Howard is someone like a Carmelo who doesn't have a skill set that fits today's NBA and also has had problems adjusting to his role or has had issues with getting along with certain t- uh, uh, members of his team, essentially. So if you're going to call it a conspiracy theory for Melo, are you going to keep that same energy and do that for Dwight Howard as well? Obviously, you're not one of the people saying it's a conspiracy. But, again, I mean, you got to call a spade a spade when you see it. It's true. You do. But Dwight Howard has also suffered multiple injuries. And he's been injured for half of a season. And then for, you know, X amount of games in another season. So it's like, okay, maybe you don't have the skill set to fit today's modernized game or whatever. But you can't even stay healthy. He's been injured since 2013. Right. With the, the back injury. Really been Healthy, healthy. Mm-hmm. So now it's like your skill set already doesn't fit it, and you're always injured. What What do you want me to do for you? Right, right. You're not helping yourself right. by not being able to stay healthy. And that's a fair point, actually. That's a fair Which, point. On, in Melo's situation, he's healthy. He's hooping every day, like every day. And he's in the gym. So it's like, Oh, yeah, we see that. We see he's in I'm the gym. I'm healthy. I'm ready to go. Hello. Listen, if this guy wanted to get a contract offer, he should record himself in the gym playing defense. So, Take this in, though. If you're saying it's about the money for this guy, as you're saying, as a Carmelo. Early, early in his career, like like in those New York why, years and what have Why you. isn't he going to China and chasing the bag, which they will give him a pretty significant bag if he goes to China. I'm sure of that. Of course, of course. Uh, no, my argument was during his prime years, he was chasing the bag. So and you should. 
during of, those of, years. Of course, of course. Get your money. Of course. And I'm not I'm not denying him from that. Of course you should you should go get your money, right? I'm just saying don't lie to me as an observer of the game that you're that you're in it for 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 championships as well because you want to win. Because I don't believe that. If you were in a shitty situation like the New York Knicks and you still chose to re-sign with them because you knew you would get the biggest bag from them. On top of that, you added no trade clause to that as well. It's like don't don't lie to me. You know what I mean? Like just be one hundred. Don't be like, oh, I, I want to be competitive. Like I want us to build a team around here. And mind you, he got that contract, or I think it was an extension. It was either free agency or an extension, but he got that contract after those important tertiary players left. Like like uh, like uh, uh, not why I keep on saying Tayshawn Prince. Um, Chandler? Tyson Chandler, thank you. Tyson Chandler, Jason Kidd, all those guys who were instrumental in making the playoffs like a contending team. They had already left, and he still said, "You know what? Let's let's. I think we can build something here." How your main guys left? You're just saying that because you got Signed the bag. Signed some new players, but they couldn't because the Knicks were already hard capped at that point, and he knew that because he was occupying 35 percent of that cap. I get it. Get your money, but again, don't tell me, "Oh, let's go get some players, and we're gonna build something around." Well, you already know damn well that you're a hard capped, and this is before the salary cap spiked. So, again, it's like, don't lie to me. Like, don't insult my intelligence. Hey, man, he's there to play basketball, not worry about the salary cap. That's for the other folk. Get your money. You know, if people want to join, if, if people can join a team via trade or anything else, you know, you're the New York Knicks. You should be able to pull some. The Lakers could do it. You guys got to be able to do something. You got the biggest market in basketball. You know what I mean? So so you're putting play on the Knicks now? I mean, like, <laughs> if they really want to win, then it's not only on Carmelo. He's just got to perform on the basketball court. He's not involved in oh, you need to trade for, you know, X, Y, and Z. You guys need to get him that help that he needs in order to win if he's going to go out there and perform, regardless of what the salary cap is. Lakers go over the salary cap all the time. you know. And look where that's gotten them. (laughs) It's gotten them in a great position right now to win a championship. Yeah, right now. But I'm saying within, like, the last six or seven years. Okay, but look what it's gotten them for their franchise. They have the most titles, or second most with Boston. I forgot who's second up. most, but they act like they have the most, which, so uh, then, which I find so hilarious. For, so it seems like their method is working. There's a method to their madness. It seems to be working more than not. Well, we have to keep in mind that when the Lakers were winning the majority of their titles, which came either in the 80s or the early 2000s, it was all the people who they had in their front offices who were making these who were making these deals done because of the fact that they knew what they had and they knew what to put around certain players and what have you. Mind you, they finessed their way to get some players. Like there's, They had no business of selecting Magic Johnson first overall in the draft because they were nowhere near getting that first pick in the draft. They were able to finesse their way out of getting uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the 80s when they had virtually no type of leverage to actually get him for the pieces that they traded for. They got their original coach fired and had in uh, Pat Riley because Magic Johnson had issues with him. And then on top of that, they had Jerry West in the front office for for the Lakers during the 90s. That's how they were able to get Shaquille O'Neal. Mind you, Orlando like low-balled him, low-balled him a figure, which they were dumb for doing. So like I... It, they, that was Orlando to lose, I would say. But in the early 2000s, again, you saw Jerry West running the show and knowing how to build around those guys. So it all, all depends on who you have in your front office and who you know and what have you. As far as the Knicks go, I mean, the Knicks, I mean, yes, I've been, I've been shitting on Melo for this whole, for the last, what, 20 minutes now, I feel like. But to be fair, the Knicks have a shitty front office. Like, they, they, the James Dolan era, that which has gone up from August of 1999 up until now, has been by far the worst era in Knicks history. I feel like the Knicks... Even before, the, even before then, I still think the Knicks are the most overrated franchise in NBA history because of all this lore of Madison Square Garden and the Mecca and what have you. You only have two titles to show for it, and that happened way before Melo and what have you. So, yeah, 
New York ain't shit. I'm just gonna say it right there. <laughs> then, but yeah, I mean, going back to Mellow though, I mean, is Brooklyn in the house though? Is Brooklyn in the house? You know what? Here, here's the thing: the Knicks will always be the thing in in New York as it's far like, as our lifetimes like are concerned. The Lakers will be. Exactly. The only way for that to capsize is if for the next 50 years, for example, the tide changes. So the so the Clippers start winning more in L.A. than the Lakers do and vice versa for the they Nets. Win championships. I know. I know. That's what I'm trying to say. So if they be if they eclipse the amount of championships that these that the, the other aforementioned teams have, then it's possible that the, that history could change, essentially. Yeah. So. For the for the Nets, that's not hard to do because you all you have to do is win three titles and you could change the direction of your franchise. You can make Barclays the new Madison Square Garden in the basketball sense. I feel like if they even won one title at this point, yeah, nobody. It's hard because this generation and the generations coming up, they've never even seen New York win anything. It's true. So now everybody's new. Yeah. If if Brooklyn goes ahead and wins a championship, it's like okay, this is the team now. Right. What have the Knicks done in the last? God only knows when since the '80s. What right. have they done? Nothing. Exactly. They've they've all they've done is come close. You know what I mean? They've come close, but they haven't gotten it done. I get it. You either ran into Michael Jordan or Reggie Miller. I get it. But again, champions are, are remembered. You know what I mean? That's right. The the thing I hated the most growing up and just coming into age and what have you is the fact that. People, in, some people in Toronto, all people in Toronto, but there's some people in Toronto who would shit on the Raptors, but then they would big up the Knicks. And I'm just like, wait, hold on. So you're saying the Raptors suck because they're they're losers. They haven't won anything. Okay, cool. I get it. But then why are you big up the Knicks? Like, yeah, I get it. They have two championships but from the 70s. Beyond that, they haven't done shit. <laughs> so it's like, where's your logic? Like, you know what I mean? So, and and those are including the years that Melo was on the Knicks as well. So it's like, are you just cheering for the Knicks because of Melo? Because he's a hooper and all that? Because he can drop 30 on 50% shooting? Like, is that what you're trying oh, to tell me right now? Wow. Like, come on. Like, like get real. But anyways, we've gone on long enough about this. So I ask you, the people who are still listening right now or who will be listening later on, do you think that my assessment of Carmelo Anthony was too harsh? Do you think I'm being a hater? Do you think I'm just being an extreme objectionist? Either way, let me know. Share your thoughts on social media at CoolRealCC. And with that being said, it is time for the Wankster of the Week. So let's get to that, shall we? Now, I'm not going to spend too long on this week's Wankster because this week's Wankster of the Week goes to the Carmelo Anthony apologist. Okay? Now, for all the people who are weighing in and saying how it's a conspiracy, it's a conspiracy, they're taking all of his jobs. Listen, I've already outlined it for the last, what, half an hour now, give or take. Melo's style of play does not fit in today's NBA. He's not the best three-point shooter. He does not play defense. This guy is six foot seven, six foot eight on a good day, has a very massive wingspan, but can't even put it to use because he doesn't want to play defense. He doesn't really have the greatest post-up game. He was about average at best, I would say. And at the end of the day, he is someone who is not willing to conform to a new new role as a player. Like, he'll reluctantly play it, but not willingly. So what team wants to have that on their hands? And all these people talk about how, oh, you know, he's the new Iverson. You know, they pushed Iverson out of the league. No. I will agree with your assessment in saying that he is like Iverson, that they both have the same mannerisms in their approach and what have you. But to say that he's getting pushed out of the league, there's no reason to push Carmelo Anthony out of the league. He's never been a problem child of sorts. He hasn't been arrested. He got suspended earlier in his career for a couple of misgivings that he had. Um... 
as far as like throwing punches and what have you. But beyond that, there's no reason to throw this guy out of the league. So please miss me with the tinfoil hat theories. Like I'm not here for it. Melo is not with a team right now because he's not willing to conform or adjust his style of play, and he hasn't done so since the day he stepped foot on an NBA court. If he was at least a 3 and D player, he would have work in his league, I promise you. Everyone is looking for 3 and D nowadays. Tony Snell is on the team because he does 3 and D. Carmelo does not. So I'm sorry, guys, but to all you tin hat wearing people, y'all the wanks of the week for, for trying to cover up for this guy. I'm sorry, but y'all deserve the wanks. Do you deserve it? Yes, you do. Drop it on you just like this. Where is it? There we go. Oh, boy. All right. And that about does it for tonight's show. Um, so first and foremost, Justin Allman, thank you for coming on. Um, you are more than welcome to join the show. You already know what it is. It's your third time anyway, so you practically live here. Um, where can the people find you on social media? Uh, um, people can find me on my Instagram. It's ball and a dream. That's mm-hmm. ball and then n a dream. So b a double l n a d r e a m, and you can get everything from what I'm doing currently to the book release dates and all that kind of stuff. If you're into basketball training, you could. Get me online at dreamchasers.ca. Mm-hmm. That's D-R-E-A-M-C-H-A-S-E-R-Z-Z-Z.ca. And that's also the same as my, um, you know, business account for my basketball as well. But other than that, if you ever want to hit me up, hit me on LinkedIn. It's Justin Alleman. I'll be sure to answer any questions you got. <clears throat> that is what's up. Absolutely. And as you guys already know, we will be back in studio next week. The guest is to be determined, so I will keep you guys up to date with that. And as you already know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment. Reminding you that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. And enjoy the long weekend. Enjoy it responsibly. To anyone who is going out for Caravana, enjoy yourselves. Again, enjoy responsibly. And we are out of here. Peace.